Um, Mountain Park, you may be seated. So glad you're here. My name is Alan. We were talking backstage before the uh, celebration started. We don't need no stinking marsh. Yeah, that was awesome. Nice job, man. That was awesome. Uh, just kidding, Marsh, if you're listening to this. Okay, so, uh, hey, I want to tell you about a, a few things. Uh, kind of give you an update on what's happening in, uh, in student ministries. Last week was the graduation from fifth to sixth grade where a bunch of young'uns got to jump into our student union, student ministry piece, and we have a little video of what they did last week, and we thought you needed to see this. So here you go. Here's our sixth graders last Sunday. There you go. That was last Sunday morning. Doesn't that look like church when you grew the way you grew up? No. Okay. Well, a little bit different. Hey, way more exciting than that is that uh, we have we are starting this fall in our student union, our student ministries, twenty two new D groups. These are doing life together groups. Twenty two leaders, and there'll be about five kids in each of these groups. That's a hundred students who are committed to doing life together and learning more about God here in your church, your students. Very exciting. Very exciting. One other thing I wanted to share with you, and I've asked Trevor to stick around for a little bit. This is Trevor Tillery. And uh, yeah. Come on down, Trevor. This is Trevor's last Sunday with us. I know. And see, Trevor grew up here at Mountain Park. He went to the student uh, ministry, grew up, was, was significantly moved and transformed like that, uh, by that. He is a man of God. He is, um, he is a servant. He has been on staff here in our uh, facilities for about four years. Uh, he's uh, uh, 22 years old, single, and, uh, and uh, he is following his dreams. He's heading off to Nashville to find out what God has for him in terms of this deal. So we just wanted to say you're awesome. We are so proud of you, and uh, we want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads as, uh, as we pray with Trevor here? God, we are, thank we are so thankful for Trevor that uh, this has been the place that you've chosen to to uh, raise him up, and uh, he is a uh, man who loves you, and so God, we pray a special blessing on him as he goes to uh, Nashville. God, would he uh, not just experience kind of the a same old experience, uh, situation there, but God, that you would supernaturally meet him, give him the unique uh, encounter with you that you are calling him to. God, would you bless him, bless him and inspire him, and allow him to be, to continue to be the person you're calling him to be. Bless the gifts you've given him. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Awesome. Bless you, man. All right. Thanks. He's a good guy. 
Hey, if you are uh, new with us, we are in a series uh, this whole year that we're calling The Whole Shebang. We're taking all of 2010 to look at the grand, epic, big story of God. We started in January at creation, and we're going to end in uh, December with what glimpses God has given us in terms of the end of the story. The whole shebang, the grand overall story, and where we are right now is we are looking at the period of time between what we find in our, in our Bible, our New Testament, and where we are today. There's this 2,000 years of church history, the stuff that kind of makes some people snore, that we need to at least take a look at in order to understand how we got to the place that we are. And right now, we're going to look at around the year 600 A.D. Last week, we looked at the power of the Roman Empire. They were huge. They were the ones who were persecuting Christians. At the time, it was the most powerful nation, empire the world had ever known. And just a few hundred years after that, after the stories we talked about last week, the mighty Roman Empire fell. Here's a little map of the world in 600 A.D. The red line is the former Roman Empire. And the yellow is the, where Christians had uh, predominantly moved. So it all started, if you see in the bottom right there, Jerusalem, just to the right of Egypt. Jerusalem is the city where it all started, and it all moved north and west. And what is now Europe was predominantly a Christian area. What you'll notice there to the right, to the southeast of Jerusalem, however, there's not much yellow. That area is known as Arabia. It was at the time known as Arabia. It is modern-day Saudi Arabia, Iran, and Iraq. And it was, uh, uh, as you can see, there's just, there's just no infiltration of the message of Jesus in that area. Again, this is 600 A.D. And that nation of Arabia to the southeast was a was a very troubled area of the world. They were uh, killing each other. There was incredible disunity in this area. Uh, there was an intense poverty in this area. Dogs were sleeping with cats. It was just a, a tremendously uh, a, a difficult area here. And in uh, 570, there was a man who was born, just a regular man, regular birth, was born in Arabia, uh, just kind of at the, at the bottom of the map there in a, in a city called Mecca. And this man was born and was told by an angel, apparently, that he was to start a new system of beliefs. And um, this man, his name was Muhammad. And the system of beliefs that he was to start was Islam. And Muhammad was, was more than a spiritual leader. He was a political leader. He was a military leader. And he gathered people by the thousands in this hurting, broken area. Gathered, gathered them by the thousands and united them under devotion to the God Allah. Now this nation grew to be thousands strong, thousands upon thousands. Originally there was great resistance in Mecca to this group of Islam. But eventually, Muhammad led his, his troops to take over Mecca, and they became intensely powerful. And then eventually, in the year 637, actually a few years after Muhammad had died, the, uh, the Muslims 
we're, we're starting to, t to convert areas that had been Christian, sections that had been Christian. And in 637, they actually took over the city of Jerusalem. Muslims took over the center of the Jewish faith and the Christian faith, the city of Jerusalem. And they had control over that city for hundreds of years. It wasn't until around the turn of the millennium, around a thousand, when Christians in the north and in the west, they decided, we're going to take Jerusalem back. We're going to fight for Jerusalem and go back and get it, because that's what God wants us to do. This became known as the Crusades. It was the fight predominantly for Jerusalem between the Christians and the Muslims, and it was bloody and it was awful. Eventually in uh, 1099, the Christians regained control of Jerusalem, but then within another hundred years, they lost it again under the power of Saladin among the Muslims. They took Jerusalem back. And so it has been this ongoing battle for Jerusalem that is still happening today. These, these, these faiths going after, going after this, uh, this part of the world. Now, What's particularly interesting about, about this story is that the Christians in about 1000 uh, A.D., when they were moving in with the Crusades, they believed, they had a thousand years of history that said, we have the one true faith because we're willing to die for our faith. We talked about martyrs last week, that we are so devoted to our faith, we know that it's right, we're willing to die for our faith. That's how we know we serve the one true God. And then when they encountered the Muslims with the Crusades, they experienced something that was very disturbing, very challenging, because there was a whole group of people, thousands, who said, so are we. So are we. So how do we know who's right? How do we know what the one true faith is? And here we have two groups of people fully devoted to their God, willing to die for their God, how are we to know which one is right? Something very interesting about the Muslim faith that, that you may or may not know is that their story is our story. They believe in Adam, in Noah, in Abraham, in Moses, in Jesus. They don't believe Jesus was God. They believe he was a, he, in his teachings. They believe he was here. They believe he was a significant prophet. He's not God, but he was a significant prophet. They embrace what we call our Old Testament and our New Testament with some differences. It's the same story. Basically, in the same way that the Old Testament and Judaism, the Jewish faith, set the stage for Christianity... The Jewish faith and the Christian faith, the Christian story, set the stage for Islam. Here, I want to show you a little chart here that might help to explain it a little bit. We have some approximate dates here to the left of significant pieces as part of this. Basic religion, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Different books, the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Quran. The central figure, Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad. These are the three main monotheistic world religions. In other words, world religions that believe in one God. Not many, many gods doing a bunch of different things. One God, these are the three main religions, and they are all part of the same story. They're parts one, two, and three of the same story. The Jews, 
believe that they are fully devoted to part one of the story. That is the story of God. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe in parts two and three. Christians believe in parts one as a setup to part two. And then Muslims believe that part three is the full revelation of God. In fact, the, the Quran, the words, the teachings of, of Muhammad, in the Quran it says that, that this is the full and final revelation of God. It's kind of the trump card. Okay, so 4,000 years of spiritual history can be summed up with this one short video clip. Watch this here. You're it. You're it. You're it. Quitties. Any quitties. You're it. Quitties. No, any quitties. No startsies. You can't do that. Can too. Cannot. Stamped it. Can too. Double stamped it. No erases. Cannot. Triple stamped it. No erases. Tough no, blue make no, it through. No. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lord, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. Lord, Lord. You guys. Enough. I bet you thought that was the clip I was going to show, didn't you? So we have, we have the Muslims throwing down the trump card, saying this is the final and full revelation of God. Triple stamp, no erases, touch blue, make it true. And then we have the Christians who are saying, you can't triple stamp a double stamp. You can't triple stamp a double stamp. It's a double stamp. It's part two. That's where the story, that's where the story, how do we know who's right? And which parts of these stories, where does it end? How, who's to say who's right? Right. How is this all supposed to land? What about the other face? Those who believe so deeply in their face, as deep as we do. How is this all supposed to work out? I was listening to Christian radio uh, this week, and um, I, I don't typically listen to Christian radio. I might have much more uh, carnal radio preferences, typically. Uh, but I was listening to Christian radio, and they asked a provocative question. They wanted listeners to respond to the question, why do you follow Jesus Christ? They wanted to know, wanted to get some responses to that. Why do you follow Jesus Christ? Now just take a moment. Don't tell anybody. Don't say it out loud. Just in your own mind right now, just right where you are. If you are a follower of Christ, why do you follow Jesus Christ? Just think about it silently. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The reason I didn't want you to blurt anything out is that my guess is that a number of you would say, he died for my sins, which is true, which is right. Absolutely, it's right. But I would guess that that phrase might be a little bit churchy. What I mean by churchy phrase is if we say something without even thinking about it, and we pretty much know it's right in church, that's, that's basically the definition of churchy. It's like the, the kid in, uh, in children's ministry who was asked, okay, what's brown and furry and eats nuts? And the kid says, Jesus? <laughs> it sounds a lot like a squirrel, but <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and so I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, I don't want to throw down a, a churchy answer. What, why do I follow Jesus? It was a, it was a really interesting moment for me, and... and my answer, which, which is the right answer, is uh, <laughs> I was thinking, I believe in the whole shebang. I believe this is the story. Of all the things going on, I believe this is the story, that Jesus is the one. And so that affects how I view Judaism, it affects how I, how I view the Islam story. I believe Jesus is the story. When I was 19, I had a crisis of faith when my 
uh, a pastor. It was a new pastor. I was a, I was a second-year student at university, and he challenged me with a very difficult question. See, I grew, grew up across the street from a little Christian church. Our family did not go to church, and, but I just stumbled into this little church directly across the street from our house. And then it was a pastor at that church who asked me the question. He said, Alan, if you had grown up right across the street from a Muslim mosque, would you be Muslim? That question rocked me. I mean, it knocked me off my spiritual footing. I don't know. How am I supposed to know who's right and who's not right and whether I am what I am spiritually because of where I grew up or the color of my skin? Now, there are some, perhaps at the age of 18 who or 19, who have made a journey of studying world religions. I just got to tell you, I'm typically not impressed with people who make the claim, I've studied all the major world religions. I'm really typically not impressed with that because really studied? I mean, there are people who spend their entire lives studying one book of the Bible. You've studied all the religions? Really? If you've read the description on Wikipedia, it doesn't mean that you have studied the religion. Especially when that phrase comes out of the mouth of a 19-year-old. I've studied all the world religions. <laughs> Traveled to Mecca. Uh, so for me, my journey wasn't that I had looked at all the world religions and then uh, they all kind of fell apart based on logic and experience and what was left was this solid foundation of the Jesus story. That wasn't my journey. I, I hadn't lived a life long enough to be able to do that. But it came down to a faith place. I believe this is the story. I believe that the whole shebang, the whole existence of life is the story of Jesus Christ. It all depends on what we view the story is going to be. We find in the New Testament different people view Jesus Christ differently, view what the story is differently, that the disciples, these 12 young revolutionaries that Jesus said, I want to trust the story with you, they believed, they didn't fully understand it, and they said some awkward things, and we get the joy of reading this in our New Testament, they didn't fully understand it, but they looked at Jesus, and they said, you are the Messiah, you are the one we've been waiting for, I will follow you, I'll drop my net, I will follow you, I'm not even sure what that means. But we also find in our New Testament that there are many examples of, of Jewish people who decided that that wasn't the story. That wasn't what they chose to believe in. And often these uh, Jewish folks are referred to as Pharisees. And there are many stories in the New Testament, some of them actually kind of ridiculous, that represent their interaction, their response to the story of Jesus. I want to take a look at one this morning in John chapter 5. The book of John, chapter 5. Again, the New Testament starts out Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I'm reading at the very beginning of John, chapter 5. He writes, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast 
of the Jews. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Now they were going to Bethesda to be healed in the waters, of this, in the healing waters of the pool. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And listen to this. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. What? What? This guy had been sitting, laying on his mat, an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus comes and heals him of this. He's holding onto his mat, and the Jews are so disconnected to the story of Jesus being the one, being the Messiah, they're so disconnected to that story that they're saying, you can't carry a mat in here. You can't hold a mat. This is not one of those mat-carrying synagogues. Who do you think you are? You're not going to find this law in the Old Testament. You're not going to find it. That, that this law that you're not allowed to do this. This is one of those Jewish traditions that had grown over time as they, they developed all these laws on how to do this and do this and not do this on the Sabbath. You know what this offense was punishable by? Death. Stoning. Mat-carrying stoning. They're so disconnected to the story of Jesus that this becomes their response. Now, the Jews are not stupid. I mean, we talk about Pharisees in the New Testament. They're not stupid. They're not evil. They're not messengers of Satan. They simply believe in a different story. They believe in a different story with regard to who Jesus is. Now, I say simply, but it's a profound, it's a profound response. See, the significance with story is that the story you believe you're living in determines how you live your life. That's what's so significant, significant about this, about the whole shebang, about what, what is this grand story? The story you believe you're living and breathing in, it determines how you live your life. The Jews believe that, that the story is about uh, devotion to a God who has given us these laws. It is about understanding and following the law. Muslims believe, according to the, to the teachings of Muhammad in the book of Quran, that there are five things that they need to do. Five things. They're referred to as the five pillars of Islam. And they need to pray a certain way and do certain things. The fifth pillar is the pilgrimage to Mecca, that at some point in their lives... Muslims have to go to the city of Mecca. If you don't do these five things, you will not see God in eternity. You have to do these five things. Their beliefs significantly shape how they live their lives. Now, there's a radical group of Muslims who believe in a sixth pillar, and that's the jihad, the holy war. And those are the ones that we're most concerned with in terms of 
our global story right now. The story that we believe we're living in shapes, determines how we live life. Let me jump a number of years to 200 years ago here in America. Mormons believe that there was a man named Joseph Smith who had a unique revelation from God who said, I want to raise up among the Americas a group of people who will restore the true faith. Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that, uh, that these are the end times. It is central to their faith and to, to their experience. Jehovah's Witness uh, experience journey is a little over 100 years old. And at the end of the 19th century, they believed it was all going to end. The end of the world was going to be 1914. It was all about 1914. They were moving towards this date. And the founder of the Jehovah Witness movement, he lived until 1916. And then they moved the date to 1925. And then 1975. And then 1989. Things haven't kind of worked out so well there. Atheists believe that we are just here by chance, that religion, that whatever concept of God is a human attempt to try to understand what's going on around us. Agnostics, by definition, they're just not sure. Agnostic means I don't know. They're just not sure what that story is. Many uh, Americans today believe, not necessarily in in the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, but in the idea that if, as long as I'm a good person, as long as I'm a good enough person or the people I care about are good enough people, then a gracious God will figure that out in the end. Many are going to land there. The story we believe we're living in determines how we live our life, but we can't just pick and choose. We can't just say, I like this here, I like this, I like a portion of that, a little bit of this. You can't go to, to the pop machine and go, a little bit of Muslim, a little bit of Christianity, and have this perfect blend to have the perfect religion for your worldview. There's a story out there. What do you believe that story is? This week I was running in my neighborhood in Lakewood, and I came across a couple that I uh, hadn't seen in quite some time, and I looked over at them, and they had that, oh no, there's the pastor look. <laughs> and so I did what I, what I was supposed to do, what a, what a respectful pastor would do. I went over and said hi. And uh, so I went over and talked with them, and, uh, and it turns out I was correct. They hadn't been in church for about a year, and uh, the reason for that is they have been and continue to be trying to have a baby. They are trying desperately to have a baby. They have no kids. And then a year ago, just a little over a year ago, she had a miscarriage. And it just rocked their world. They were told by some well-meaning Christians that this was God's will. They were told, oh, you just got to have enough faith. You got to just keep on praying. We'll be praying for you. Keep on praying. Let me just tell you, don't do that. Don't say that to people. We do way more damage than good when we throw down these churchy, thoughtless responses to people. Just say, I am so sorry. I can't imagine how hard that would be. You want to talk about it? If, if I hear that the people who are saying that to others here in this community come from Mountain Park Community Church, I will excommunicate you. 
Don't say that stuff. It is not God's will that terrible things happen to people. It's not. God doesn't make bad things happen. He weeps. He is broken when we are hurt, when we are suffering, when we are mourning. He doesn't make bad things happen. He redeems things when bad things happen. So this sharp, sharp couple with a deep, deep, deep history of faith in Christianity has decided as a result of all this to just walk away at least for a period of time. To give, to, give it, to give it some space. And they said that they'd feel like hypocrites if they came to church to, find, to try to find some healing through this period of their lives because they know, they know right now, they do not believe that story. They do not believe the story of Jesus. They believe there is some kind of God, but not the story of Jesus, etc., etc. They are so crushed and wrecked by the reality that bad things happen to good people that it has demolished their faith, their story. There's a, um, you know, I, as I was thinking about their situation, I've been thinking about it a lot this week, and the reality is that What's the alternative? I mean, if, if, if there's a faith that is rocked by the difficulty of life, wh what's the alternative story that we're going to embrace? Is there another story out there that is going to change the pain of their current loss? There is not. See, faith doesn't change our circumstances. It changes our response to our circumstances. It doesn't give us all the things that we want. And so thank, thank you, God, you are the Santa Claus of all gods. It changes our response to the, to the story around us. We've been singing a song recently, and, and the song begins, verse 1 begins, I'm not skilled to understand what God has willed, what God has planned. I only know at His right hand stands one who is my Savior. So in the midst of the difficulty, things that I can't explain, I still believe this is the story. That's where my faith, that's where my faith leans. So our system of belief, the story that we choose to believe, is most challenged when life is hard. When we are bombarded, when we feel like we're in a rut, when we are neck high in depression or addiction or our brokenness. That story that we, that we want to believe in, that we have believed in, it is most challenged when we are in those moments. And in those moments, what do you believe is the truth? What do you believe is the true story? I follow Jesus Christ because I believe that is the true story. Whether I feel like it or not, whether I can explain something or not, whether I'm excited about God or not, that's the story. And I'm never going to say to you or your friends or your neighbors or my neighbors, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm never going to say a, to a Muslim, to a Mormon, to a Jehovah's Witness, I'm right and you're wrong. What I'm going to say is, this is the story I believe in. This is the story that I wrap my life around. And it shapes how 
I do life. It shapes how I treat my wife. It shapes how I raise my kids, what I do with my time and my money, what I do with my profession, how I am at my job, how I feel about my imperfection, how I feel about my future. What story do you believe you're living in? Because the story you believe you're living in determines how you live life. Let's pray for just a moment, if you would. Father, I know this is a, this is a group of folks who, for the most part, believe in the story of, of Jesus Christ. But God, I know that there are moments, even if we've been followers for 20 years, where a crisis of faith happens and that very foundation gets questioned. Is it real? Have, have I been forced into this? Or is this the truth? And God, for those of us in this room who go through those moments, which are okay to go through, it's a, it's a matter of honesty and taking these before you, God. God, would you, would you give us the strength to lean on the beauty of the story? We don't have everything figured out. We have very little figured out. But may we hang on to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. We have so much that we differ here in this room. We believe one thing about one area, one thing about another area. May we come together with the one true story of your love for us and a restored relationship with us is made through the person of Jesus Christ.